1: Welcome to Nuggets Numbers. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It's not the normal time that I usually record Nuggets Numbers, but it is the end of the regular season. I just wanted to do an emergency Nuggets Numbers episode to preview the playoffs, to get some thoughts from uh, another voice who's very familiar with the San Antonio Spurs, the Denver Nuggets' upcoming first-round opponent. You may know him on Twitter. As Jacob Goldstein, writer and creator for Basketball Index, contributor to Nylon Calculus, Jacob, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. Yourself, getting yeah. ready? Yeah, it's it's been wild. Uh, how crazy were the last few days of the regular season for you, for the NBA world? <laughs> they were pretty ridiculous. I mean,
0: they were kind of uneventful games until like the last thirty minutes of the regular season. When the Blazers came back and the Nuggets came back to completely change the entire top half seating in, in the West. So that was pretty, that was a wild 30 minutes because I had already gotten all the matchups set up with assuming the Nuggets were going to lose and then everything changed. Uh, it,
1: it changed massively. Uh, mention the the stuff that happened on Wednesday without even mentioning the stuff that happened on Tuesday. You had Magic Johnson stepping down oh, from man, the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, it's just completely <laughs> happened in the past. Uh, you had the Nuggets kind of getting destroyed against the Jazz. Nicole Jokic scored two points in that game and fouled out in 16 minutes. Nuggets fans really kind of thought that they were going to get the three seed, but lo and behold, the Portland Trailblazers come back and win that night on a buzzer beater from Mo Harkless, and the even bigger story, Paul George hits a buzzer beater against the Houston Rockets to put them in the four seed, and on the Golden State Warriors side of the bracket. What what was your reaction to that? How did you feel, kind of how the playoff seeding played out for both the Nuggets and the Spurs?
0: Uh, that was pretty wild. I mean, for the Spurs, it wasn't too exciting, because they they weren't really in any position to get home court. I didn't Obviously, avoiding the Warriors in the first round is great, but I didn't think it really mattered too much. They are going to be underdogs in any way. It was going to be a tough road, uh, especially with their struggles as the away team this season. So, for the Spurs, it was just like, the last few games, it's fun. We got Dirk's last game, which was a lot of fun to watch. Um... So, that, I mean, that was, that was just enjoyable to go through. It wasn't really too stressful as a Spurs fan, at least for me. I just really wasn't worried about where he ended up. But as a, a neutral party watching the top of the West drastically shift each night, I mean, Paul George's shot to, to win that game was ridiculous. Harden ended up getting a really good look after that even to, to take it back. Yeah. But, you know, it was just a crazy last 10 seconds of that game and then... Wednesday night, it it just got even crazier with multiple big comebacks to shift everything. It's just, it's been wild.
1: The Blazers ran the Hoosiers lineup with six players playing, three of their players playing all 48 minutes, Anthony Simons putting up a career-high 37, just completely bonkers night. I want to get into that a little bit later just kind of more playoff wise i first of all i, I want to introduce you more to the nuggets numbers crowd uh, have a lot of people here who are very advanced stats inclined they like to hear about kind of the numbers behind how the nuggets are performing from game to game what are general trends what can we expect and i thought hey who better at, at the confluence of the two things that I think are very important for the upcoming weeks, who better to put this together, put this preview together than Jacob Goldstein, who's a creator of one of the most utilized advanced metrics now in kind of today's NBA Twitter speak, uh, PIPM, player impact plus minus. So I just wanted to, for the listener at home for to get the explanation from the source, how would you describe... PIPM to a general listener and why it's an important metric for NBA fans to follow. So the short version is
0: that player impact plus minus, it's it's an impact stat that combines the box score with luck adjusted plus minus data and luck adjusted it, it really is variance adjusted, so what percent of 3 point shooting is a defense responsible for versus what percent of 3 point attempt rate is a defense responsible for and using more predictive terms based off how teams perform to uh, uh, better indicate how the team is actually playing on the court versus what happened because you know in a given night a team can get crazy hot from 3 or crazy cold from 3 and that might not necessarily be because of how the defense is playing or, really, even how the offense is playing it. It just some nights it goes in, some nights it doesn't. Um, so, the idea of luck adjusted plus minus is to account for the variance that a defense and offense is able to statistically control to better predict what on court and off court rating should be for players. And then that is blended with a BPM box plus minus of my own making um, to. More accurately predict regularized adjusted plus minus, um, which is essentially a big regression. I don't, I, I don't really want to get too far into that, just because yeah, that's a sure. whole another thirty minutes of explaining. But you no, know, it's it's the grandiose adjusted plus minus stat on the player level. Um, so PIPM is similar to RPM, except it's not doing a big regression. It's instead uh, taking individual players adjusted on-off data and blending it with a box score estimate of their value.
1: I think it's really valuable. One of the things that we've kind of discussed at Denver Sniffs, Adam Maris in particular is a huge proponent of this, that three-point defense, the Nuggets for the majority of like the first half of the season or so were the best three-point percentage allowed defense in the NBA, meaning that they... They weren't giving up threes in a in a large quantity, and that was a number that was consistently floated uh, for a while, and and just kind of as a as an estimate of how good the Nuggets' defense was. And so, player impact plus minus is really interesting because it kind of neutralizes that a little bit because it's something that the Nuggets really can't control. Like as as you said, they they can't control how the opposing team shoots from night to night if the shots that they're giving up for the most part are the same shots that another team's giving up. So it's really interesting that you say that. I find PIPM very valuable in a similar but also a different way to RPM. Uh, Individually, the Nuggets kind of have some interesting players that that rank interestingly in PIPM. Uh, Nikola Jokic is generally a player who ranks kind of in the top 10 across most advanced metrics. And PIPM, he's actually down lower in 17th. Uh, Wanted to get your take on whether that's more uh, kind of just about his luck adjustment or whether you think it has something to do with that, that we're not generally talking about, that maybe that's more accurate for what he actually is versus how lucky he's getting.
0: I think the past two years of memory serves, he was in the top 10 for PIPM, and this year, as you said, he's a little bit lower. I think a lot of that comes down to his on-off
1: just not quite being as good as in previous years. Mm.
0: Um, I think they've done a better job utilizing Plumley in the backup role, which can hurt uh, on-off statistics, even no matter how much adjustment you you try doing to it. Um, and, And I think another part of it is he hasn't Shot well from three this year. So that's definitely impacted how well he is is helping the team. His overall efficiency is slightly down because of that. Um, even though his passing is up and his offensive rebounding is, you know, around normal career levels, um, I think just the shooting and um, the on-off being a little bit worse uh, probably because of having a slightly better backup, um, that's just pulling him down a little bit. I mean, he's still... Uh, top twenty in the league, which is, which is oh, yeah. great. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's definitely a little bit lower uh, than previous seasons.
1: Yeah, and I to- totally get that. And given the way that he kind of has performed this year in in comparison to how the bench has performed, that's been the biggest reason why the Nuggets have been the kind of team that they are. Is just because their bench has taken another step in the minutes without Jokic. So. That may, of course, impact how how a metric sees how Jokic is performing, but I think that's interesting. I think it's a it's a good take, and I wouldn't necessarily rank him seventeenth, and I wouldn't necessarily rank him fifth like RPM has him. So he's probably somewhere in the middle of those two okay. places. Uh, but be that as it may, like it, it's a it's a good place for anybody to be. Um, if you had to pick three different NBA advanced metrics for, a, for an NBA fan to follow, kind of loosely or regularly, depending on how much they wanted to follow them, what would you pick? I, I assume the PIPM would be there, and I would also put it there.
0: Yeah, I, I'd probably pick PIPM just because it's mine and, and you know I have a, a, a sentimental attachment to it, and I do think it actually does. Uh, a pretty good job. I would also pick RPM. I think between PIPM and RPM, they kind of can balance each other out when one of them's a little too high on a player or one of them's a little too low on a player. So I think, personally, whenever I look at a player I'm not really familiar with, I always look at both numbers because I do think they're both useful and sometimes the balance between the two of them is a more realistic approximation of what a player is doing than just one by themselves. For sure. Um, then another stat that I really like is from uh, Inpredict, mm-hmm. which is uh, it's his kitchen sink win probability added, which is a box score metric uh, regressing various stats off of the win probability that they add to a team, mm, and I okay. think it's just an interesting way of looking at um, the, the value of each thing in relative terms to how much win percent it's adding. It's kind of looking at it a little bit differently. Um, and I, I think it's interesting just to see uh, where it's similar, where it's different. And I think it helps round out the picture of, of what a player's bringing to the court. A, a bonus one is if someone has a uh, Ben Taylor's Patreon, mm-hmm. um, his version of box plus minus, I think does a really good job of isolating players from um team context a little bit better so it's more based off player talent um so i think that's also a really good one to look at to get a sense of you know what a player's talent is versus necessarily what their impact is
1: for sure uh, it's interesting that you bring up ben taylor adam maris actually had him on locked on nuggets last week and and they were discussing nicole Jokic at length and as just kind of as prevalent of a player statistically as nicole Jokic is uh Taylor had him ranked as the top assist man in the league uh, in terms of, like, the shots that he creates for other players around him. So I think it's really interesting. Uh, All of those metrics, I I certainly agree. I know that I want to do a regression for RPM versus PIPM for Nuggets players specifically over the course of this summer uh, just in in terms of who's impacting what. Uh, With RPM, you're talking about... A, a statistic that it's really isolating those players based off of who they're playing against. On like if they're playing in an average setting, is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's the goal of it. The goal of any of these impact stats generally is a, effectively a hyper-adjusted on-off statistic, and just accounting for what the individual player does, who their teammates are, who their opponent is, what the game situation is, like if it's a back-to-back, if they're up twenty. So it's just trying to uh, adjust as well as possible for an on-off statistic based off what the player does, accounting for everything that it can.
1: Well, fair enough. So if you guys are listening at home, PIPM, RPM, uh, Ben Taylor's metric under his Patreon account, his, uh, his box plus minus, and the kitchen sink win probability for unpredictable. So... So those are all great metrics to follow, all that I follow exclusively. So I definitely want to get that going for sure. Um, okay, let's start moving into the Nuggets and Spurs over the course of this this interesting playoff series that we're going to have. Uh, the Nuggets' statistical profile this year is pretty interesting. They are 54-28, and 28, second in the West, 8th in net rating, 7th uh, in offense, 10th in defense, something that people didn't really expect from, from pretty much ever across the board. Nobody really expected them to grade as well as they are defensively. Um, what are your thoughts on the Nuggets generally? Uh, just removing the statistics for a second, how have they looked, in your opinion, uh, especially over the last several games, and over the course of this season in general, it's been a pretty big step for them this year.
0: Yeah, I think most of the year, for probably the first sixty five, seventy games, they were looking really good. Um I I was actually really excited by them. They did really well in my win projections over this past summer and I fully expected them to sort of take the step forward to fighting for home court. Um and I think they've kind of exceeded what I expected. They were a younger team coming into the year. All of their big stars outside, really, Millsap are 23, 24 or younger. They're all very still young in the league and, and have a lot of growth that they are going to see over the next few seasons. So I was excited to see what they'd be able to put together this year. And I think they've, they've done a really good job up until recently. They've definitely just entirely forgotten how to score over the past 10 or so <laughs> yeah. games. But, I mean, that's not too concerning for me. Generally speaking, April, March basketball is the least predictive of anything. So it's it's not great. You never want to struggle at any point in the year. But I'm not too concerned uh, for the Nuggets offensively. I think they'll figure it out. They're a good enough team, and, and I think they'll be able to lock in. So uh, I think it's been a really good year for them. It's a great step forward. It shows that their rebuild process is done. They're a playoff team. They're a home court playoff team, and they're a young one. So they're going to be back here for the foreseeable future. So it's it's
1: pretty much a dream scenario for, for the Nuggets, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned the difference between first and second half, kind of the the first half they were 28 and 13, had a plus five net rating, which was seventh in the NBA. Second half it was down to 26 and 15 with a plus three net rating, that was ninth. So a little a little bit of a step down during the second half. Not necessarily something that anybody should truly worry about, but there was certainly a little bit of a regression there. Uh, everyone's kind of mentioning Denver's age and how they're backing into the playoffs in a weird way. Uh, how negatively do you think those things will impact the team, just isolating that against a playoff series against a team like the Spurs that's more of a veteran team? And and do the numbers generally bear that out, that a team, uh, when they back into the playoffs or they're super young, do they generally underperform from your experience? From my experience, no. I, I don't believe that player
0: age or playoff experience is a very good predictor of how they'll perform in the playoffs. I think having playoff experience generally just gives people more confidence because they've seen what uh, a, a, what the, the players can do at that level, so they're not worried about what's going on or anything like that. Like just that. a, a larger sample size? Like, how Nikola Jokic will defend because they've yeah. seen it, you know, stuff yeah. like that. I think the place experience really comes into play in the playoffs is at the coaching level. I think it's much harder for a coach to make those game to game adjustments or even half to half or quarter to quarter adjustments than people think. Um, So I think that's where experience really plays a role. But I think at a player level, these guys have been playing for two, three years, at least in the league. They know what they're doing It's a bigger game, but they've all played in big games before, Uh, so I'm not too worried about them in terms of experience. It's much more can the coach make the right adjustments at the right time if things start getting out of hand or if they find um, a way to exploit the Spurs' defense or offense, can they make those adjustments uh, before it's too late?
1: Moving to the Spurs side, they were 48-34, 7th in the West, had a plus 1.6 net rating, which, which came out to 12th in the NBA. 6th in offensive rating, so just above Denver, actually. I think there were 0. 0.1 points per possession above Denver, so basically the same. And 20th in defensive rating. Uh, Denver's biggest story was maintaining an above-average defense, uh, but that really wasn't the case for San Antonio. Uh, how far has the defense truly fallen in your estimation without guys like DeJounte Murray, Kyle Anderson, and I guess to a lesser extent, Kawhi Leonard this year?
0: I mean, it's been up and down. I think the two biggest factors uh, in the drop in defensive efficiency are Aldridge is just, he's getting a little older. He's not able to move as well. Last year, he really did have a career season on both ends. Um, And it's just, you know, he's, he's 33 now. He can't. He was never super mobile, but it's starting to catch up with him, and he's slowing down even more. So he's struggling to uh, contain everywhere in the paint, and if he gets switched onto the perimeter, it's done. though. and then Demar Derozan, I think he was better this year defensively than I expected, but it's definitely far from a strength of his. Um, so it's just it's hard to have a really high level defense when there are so many holes that you have to fill. Um, between your two biggest stars on the team, um, and then you know there was Bryn Forbes played a lot of minutes. Who's an undersized shooting guard? So, you know that makes it harder. Patty Mills is a decent defender, but nothing special. There's just I feel like too many guys who played a lot of minutes this year who can operate within a team context defensively, but if you put them all together there's just holes and things are going to fall through and it's just really hard to maintain even with Greg Popovich who's one of the greatest defensive coaches of all time.
1: Were the Spurs better defensively with Jakob Perdle in there and LaMarcus Aldridge moving to power forward or was it just better for them to play small and, and have LaMarcus guard the slowest player most of the time?
0: I think the defense was better with Pertl in there but I think there's an offense-defense tradeoff there that, that kind of made it not worth it at times. In the right matchups where Aldridge doesn't have to be chasing around a stretch four, then that would be fine to have the two big guys out there at the same time. It would be preferable. Um, but if you're going against someone who's able to space the court at the four position or someone who's younger, more mobile, or even like a big wing effectively playing the four... Then that lineup is just really tough to play for any serious amount of time I mean it was a similar issue they had with Pau Gasol and Aldridge except Poto better than Pau Gasol but you know it's a similar issue of just it's hard for Aldridge to keep up with guys around the perimeter now and it's not worth making him expend that kind of energy uh, versus just letting him play the center and bringing Poto in off the bench unless the matchup lets it happen
1: Interesting so that that matchup, I think, is going to be really interesting. I when did some writing for Denver Stiffs uh, in a roundtable, asked the question, what's the biggest matchup for this upcoming series? And what I put was uh, LaMarcus Aldridge and small ball versus Paul Millsap and Nikola Jokic, because I think that that's going to be a really interesting storyline, whether Pop decides he wants to space out LaMarcus Aldridge at the five uh, go smaller and and have Aldridge guard Nikola Jokic and force Nikola Jokic onto LaMarcus Aldridge offensively. Uh, and then, but it sounds like the better defense that they get from Jakob Pertl might make that a little bit more important for San Antonio to stay big. Uh, it's going to be really interesting on both of those accounts. Uh, the offensive profile for San Antonio is one of the most absurd that I can remember uh, just basically efficient across the board. Uh, Looking at cleaning the glass, it is really impressive to see their efficiency at the rim, in all the mid-range areas and behind the three, corner threes. They're all in the top end of efficiency in those sections But they take so many mid-range shots that it actually depresses that efficiency a little bit. Uh, How do you feel about that? And as somebody who's statistically, analytically inclined, when you're supporting guys like DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge as a Spurs fan, but also kind of have to acknowledge the fact that the games that they play might be depressing the the potential of an offense
0: it's tough to balance i've kind of long believed that demar de and LaMarcus aldridge are the kind of guys who will raise your floor to a certain level because of their ability to score at good or average efficiency on high volume i think that is a very valuable skill but i think because of as you mentioned both of them have a very similar shot profile and even though they're good at their shot profile it's not the most efficient way to play basketball in the modern era I mean fortunately the Spurs have good shooters around them like pretty much everyone on this roster outside of those two is just stroking it from three this year yeah it's not super high volume but it's enough to keep the court spaced around them and when they need to hit threes they have the belief in their guys to take and make the threes but it's it's Tough, bad times to watch. They're they're they can get into spurts where they're just taking these tough contested mid range jumpers, and uh, it, it can get a little grueling to watch at times.
1: Yeah, but it can, works. Yeah, so, but it, it I mean, clearly it, has worked. I I was really surprised how effective offensively they've been. Uh, this team this team is really impressive, and and without Dejounte Murray. I think that's actually kind of helped them even though they've lost something defensively they've been able to put Bryn Forbes out there and he's completely spaced the floor Davis Bertans has really been a great spacer offensively with the versatility to play small forward or power forward Uh, Derek White has been unbelievable Uh, I really love watching him play Um, so I think that's going to be interesting uh one of the questions that I got from Twitter, uh, what do you think is more important for the Spurs offense? Is it hitting high high percentage of shots in the mid-range or hitting a high percentage of shots at three, given that they take so many more mid-range shots than they do three-pointers?
0: Oh, that is a good question. I, I think it almost has to be mid-range just because they take so many more. Um, like uh, they, Their shot profile is just so much more mid-range heavy that they already, I think, lead the league in three point percent. And it's still mid range is just a more crucial part of their offensive game. So it's, I don't see how they can really shoot. I'm, over a series, they can shoot better from three, but they're already leading the league in that. Like it's, it's yeah. going to be <laughs> shooting as well as they can from mid range because they're going to take a lot of mid range attempts. They're going to go to Aldridge. And they're going to go to DeMar DeRozan more than during the regular season. And those guys don't shoot threes. They stink at shooting threes. We're going to need them to make a lot of tough mid-range shots if
1: they want to have a chance against the Nuggets. Such a fascinating uh, dilemma, I think. and I think I would actually lean three-pointers just because the way that the Nuggets are probably going to defend the Spurs, they're going to let the role players beat them and try and wall off the paint from Aldridge and DeRozan and and they'll they'll give up the tough contested twos of course but they'll send help they'll stunt they will do their best to make life difficult for those two guys and if and they can't let Davis Bertans hit seven threes against them but if he only hits three or four then they could probably live with that as long as they're keeping Aldridge and DeRozan in check and they they've done that relatively well over the course of their four previous matchups but it it would having a crooked number from one of those guys given how much depth the Spurs have uh, that would be a really tough thing for the Nuggets to overcome so tell you what let's take a quick break and when we come back I want to talk Nuggets versus Spurs matchup specifically and how Spurs fans believe that they are definitely in the right here for getting the Nuggets versus the Rockets or Warriors. So we'll be right back. Nuggets numbers I'm with Jacob Goldstein here uh, creator of player impact plus minus contributor to nylon calculus and b-ball index Uh, really enjoy his work over there make sure to check him out want to get into this Nuggets and Spurs discussion Uh, Spurs fans from what I've seen have been really really happy to get the Nuggets as opposed to getting any other top Western Conference team Jacob
0: entirely understand it I mean I think the Nuggets are a very good team my guess is it would come down to Nuggets not having as many big name players like Nikola Jokic is obviously if by people who know the game and watch the Nuggets regularly and like are really invested in the league they know Nikola Jokic is an elite player but for a more casual fan they're way more scared of a James Harden or uh, the Steph Curry, Kevin Durant because those are bigger name guys. So I think it's just sort of not really knowing what goes on in Denver in a way. Um and and so Spurs fans are more excited about this just because they think they got the struggling young team that doesn't have the M V P candidate on it.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's fair. And I think one of the reasons is it's just not the Warriors or not the Houston Rockets and yeah, not
0: the Warriors is is definitely a good thing.
1: <laughs> you guys see James Harden four times a year, every year in the same division, and, and have had your battles with him in the past. Uh, he put up sixty one points just a month ago or so against against the Spurs. So I can imagine that Spurs fans are at least relieved <laughs> that they don't have to play either of those top two teams. A direct quote that I I took from the pounding the pounding the rocks comment board. Uh, people mistake our wanting to play the Nuggets with confidence in our team. We just don't want to play the Warriors or Rockets, <laughs> and I get that. I I think that that's completely fair. Uh, is that how you would feel, or is it more of just I you don't you don't understand that take from those guys? I get not wanting to play
0: the Warriors. Um, I think between you know the Rockets and the Nuggets, I don't really have a preference. Both are very good teams who are going to be very hard for the Spurs to beat. Um, It's just you have to game plan for completely different styles of play between the two. I think in some ways, because we know what the Rockets and Mike D'Antoni do in the playoffs with really short rotations and Harden having the ball somehow even more than before and playing 45 minutes a game... I feel like maybe that's a little bit easier to game plan for at times, whereas the Nuggets, we don't really know how exactly they're going to shorten their rotation or extend minutes or anything along those lines. Um, But on the other hand, they don't have a James Harden. So it's sort of like a pick your poison for what you actually want. I get not wanting to see the Warriors between all the other teams, it's just different shades of white that you have to yeah. figure out how to beat. I guess
1: fair, yeah, totally fair. Uh, the previous matchups between these two teams, uh, the Nuggets and Spurs, tied two two. Uh, in one of those games, the Nuggets started Juancho and Gomez, Torrey Craig, and Mason Plumley. Uh, in one of the in the other game, in the other loss, they played Isaiah Thomas as a major part of their rotation. Uh, I'm of the opinion that both teams should kind of throw those uh, games out of the window. And and Popovich ejected himself from the game 63 seconds into the last matchup. It was so amazing. It was That's awesome. Great. It was so, so cool. <laughs> so I, uh, between the four of those games, I think you can honestly only take one of those into account in terms of how you really want to game plan against each other. Uh, and how whether that's actually indicative of anything. So I think just throwing those games out probably makes the most sense. Is that kind of how you feel? Or should Nuggets fans be convinced that this is going to be a tight matchup because they tied
0: 2-2? Yeah, I mean, I think you can throw the results for them out. I definitely think there's schematic things you can learn from just how they played each other. Right. Um, despite you know not everyone actually being there, the results don't really matter. But there's still plenty you can learn from it. At the end of the day, I, I think it's going to be hard to make any huge conclusions off how they're going to match up based off really one game where everyone was playing. Um, so it's it's kind of a little unknown as to what exactly they're going to do, which I think is probably more interesting, more exciting. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll see exactly what happens, but I, I do think it's going to be hard to really draw solid conclusions from their four games, despite the fact they played four games.
1: Aldridge and DeRozan each averaged over 20 points a game on pretty efficient marks from, from the field. They actually shot 59% true shooting each. Uh, two of those games were without Gary Harris and Paul Millsap in the lineup, so... And you can you can maybe factor that in, I guess, a little bit, but honestly, those guys have been really impressive against the Nuggets. It's been generally the other rotation players that haven't been as efficient, or maybe just not as efficient as Spurs fans have really been accustomed to. Uh want to get into the matchups here. Uh, I have three matchups, player-to-player matchups, that I'm most looking forward to, and actually The other is the coach matchup between Greg Popovich and Michael Malone. Uh, If you have to pick a player-to-player matchup between these two teams as kind of the deciding factor between who wins the series, who would you pick?
0: I think it almost has to be DeMar DeRozan versus Gary Harris. Interesting. If DeMar DeRozan is able to get off and, and do what he wants on offense, then... The Spurs have a shot at winning. And I think the the way that DeMar DeRozan has been beaten in the playoffs in the past is by making him take the worst shots, his worst impulses, offensively. And Gary Harris is a player who can do that defensively. He's an incredible defender. So I think it all comes down to if Gary Harris can get under DeMar DeRozan's skin enough to sort of have him shoot the Spurs out of the game.
1: Yeah. I, I agree there. I think that's gonna be like I think there are a lot of really interesting and fascinating matchups across mm-hmm. all the positions. One that I'm really looking forward to is Derek White versus Jamal Murray. That was uh, my second choice. Yeah, just kind of if if you're thinking about the Spurs primary uh playmaker and initiator versus the Nugget's best perimeter defender, this is it flipped. It's Jamal Murray who's the Nugget's kind of best and most consistent. Playmaker guard and versus Derek White, who's gained all defense notoriety this year and has been kind of a revelation coming as in, in as a third year player who hasn't really played that much and just kind of turns himself into a wonderful rotation piece who ends up being a starter for most of the season so uh what have you liked about Derek White this year, and do you think that he matches up with Jamal Murray? as well as I kind of think that he does. I have been a huge believer in Derek White since the Spurs drafted him. I
0: was ecstatic that we were able to get him. My only issue with him was he was a little old for a draft prospect. Like, I loved his game. He's a tall, ball-handling combo guard who's got great defensive instincts. He can create shots for himself. He can pass pretty well. It's It's like the perfect Spurs player, especially next season at least, to play with Deontay Murray, who's a little bit more of a defensive specialist with not so much individual creation. Between the two of them next season, it's going to be very hard to score on the Spurs backcourt. Um, But getting back to Jamal Murray, I, I do think it'll be a really interesting matchup just because White is a really good defender and he has very good instincts and Jamal Murray is a bit of an off ball, relatively speaking, point guard. Sure. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting to see how Derek White is chasing him around on the defensive side of the court. And then if he's able to sort of take advantage of him on the offensive side of the court, I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup between two very good young point guards in the league.
1: Uh, In one of those games, the the game where the Nuggets kind of were running out the the mash unit out there as their starting unit, Jamal Murray was out there too, but he went 4 of 19 from the field in that game, uh, primarily guarded by guys like Derek White, who are very skilled defensively, very heady defensively, as you mentioned. You don't have to sell any Nuggets fans here on Derek White. White went to University of Colorado. He's we're very Ow, familiar. Right. He's a he's a great great player who Colorado fans are are very familiar with. Uh, another matchup, I think, I had Lamarcus well, Aldridge versus Nikola Jokic. I think that if either of those guys get into foul trouble, then the other team has a massively increased chance of winning. Uh, and then Greg Popovich versus Michael Malone. Malone had the now partially famous line of five rings versus wedding ring in his his post-game presser last night. Uh, One of the questions it got from Twitter, what strategies do you expect Popovich and company to utilize in stopping a guy like Nikola Jokic and stuff that somebody like Michael Malone as a first-year head coach isn't necessarily ready for or is kind of flummoxed by?
0: I'm not entirely sure. I think they might honestly do a little zone coverage when Jokic has the ball at times just to mix up the looks. I think what they're going to try and do is get him out of rhythm so he isn't able to be as aggressive offensively. So he isn't really making those elite high-level passes. Uh, um And so I think they might just try and mix up the coverage as much as they can on him just to keep him kind of guessing what's going on and having to react to the defense instead of just uh, beating what's going on, having him constantly having to figure out again and again exactly what the Spurs are trying to do to stop them.
1: I think that's... Sorry, you can go. Uh, It's it's interesting that you say that. Uh, Another question that came through was how much zone do you think a team like the Spurs is going to play. Uh, Nicole Jokic is actually one of the better zone beaters in the NBA just because of the way that he can operate from the high post and and put a defense in a position where they have to either commit to him as a scorer or then he kicks it out to the three-point line or dumps it down to the other big man for an easy two. Uh, So I think that's going to be really interesting, whether the Spurs can guard against that and and use some great defensive instincts and heady play to make life difficult for him, or whether they're going to try and play him straight up in man-to-man and then just hard double him, uh, get the ball out of his hands and force other guys to make plays. Uh, Both of those things are going to be interesting. If you had a preference, would you just hard double Jokic or would you let him try and score one-on-one? out of the game, sort of out, get him in
0: his own head, overthinking things, mm. um, just a little disconnected from what's really going on on the court, just so he isn't able to impact it as much. That's what I would do personally. I think they will probably mix it up, though, and, and there'll be times it's straight up with, like, Jakob Purtle on him, and there'll be times that they send Aldridge and Purtle or Aldridge and Bertans or... Bertans and Gay, and, and just mix it up as much as they can, get him disconnected from the game, get him kind of out of it, and just try and slow him down.
1: They hard-doubled him in the first game that the Nuggets played against them, and the result was Jokic went one of five from the field. Uh, he only he scored very infrequently. He had very few scoring opportunities in general. And now that was against a team that, that was having to play Tory Craig and Wancho Gomez and Mason Plumlee yeah. starting minutes. So maybe you throw that out. But if there are situations where they they have as many non-shooters on the floor as they did at that point, or maybe non-creators is a better description, then that could be a great strategy for the Spurs to employ. So really interesting stuff Uh You did some excellent data work on Nylon Calculus, kind of contributing to a playoff preview for the Mm -hmm. Nuggets versus Spurs. Uh, Generated probability scores. Uh, What kind of went into that? What caught your eye with the results there?
0: So the way I do those is I uh, essentially calculate playoff rotations, which is assuming that only seven or eight players for each team will actually see the court during the game, Um, and then I project player impact using multi-year player impact plus minus data, and then I adjust for context. so travel, home, away, rest, all those things. The Nuggets have especially good home court because of their altitude, um, them and the Jazz are really the only two teams where you have to take that into account so it's it's just sort of accounting for everything we can any injuries that there are, fortunately there's no injuries really going into the series which I love to see so yeah. we actually get to you know, see the two teams really go at it uh, um, so just trying to take everything into account come up with team ratings for each game and then simulating it I normally do it 10,000 times I feel like that's a good number where it's the, the results are stable, but I don't have to sit there simulating for hours. Um, and then you end up with a distribution of the likelihood to win in four through seven games for both teams
1: and the likelihood to move on to the next round, and all that good stuff. So, so. When, when you did simulate that, the Nuggets came out as, as the, the most likely outcome was Denver winning it in six games. Uh, They advanced in 78% of the simulations versus 22% for the Spurs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll just ask you now, how do you personally see that series going? And do you have any bold predictions on on what happens? I
0: do think the Nuggets end up winning. I think they end up winning in six games. Uh, The model has them winning most likely in five, but... All of their win scenarios, four through seven, are more likely than any single one for the Spurs, uh, at least based off my model. Um, So I I think it'll take a little bit longer just because I I always give Greg Popovich the benefit of the doubt that he's going to find some wrinkle. I just don't think the Spurs have the talent this year to really go deeper into the playoffs. I think DeMar DeRourke, Marcus Aldridge, they're great players when they're hitting shots, but they can just as easily shoot a team out of a game, and they're not really defensive stalwarts to sort of make up for it when they're struggling offensively. So I, I think the Spurs will steal an extra game. I think it'll be a four-two series win for the Nuggets. But I mean, with Popovich, he could pull out some crazy wrinkle from game one that if Malone can't adjust too
1: quickly enough, maybe it, it does swing the series a little bit in the Spurs' favor. It's going to be interesting to follow. I have the Nuggets. I, I haven't decided between the two, but I have the Nuggets either winning in five games or winning in seven games. I actually don't think that they'll win a game six in San Antonio uh, just because that's how Greg Popovich rolls. He's a very <clears throat> talented coach, and he'll he'll be coaching for the Spurs' playoff life in, in that game. And I i think nuggets fans and nba fans in general have the utmost respect for how he operates in those scenarios so gonna be really interesting really excited to see how this is i really hope it doesn't come down to a game six because i'm going to go see avengers endgame on that day so (laughs) me too (laughs) we'll go watch it together it's fine uh Well, Jacob, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate your insight into this series. It's going to be a really interesting one, and I I look forward to listening back to this and, and seeing how many of these predictions actually come true.
0: Me too. Best of luck to the Nuggets in the series. Hopefully no one gets hurt.
1: For sure, man. All right. Well, that's going to do it for Nuggets Numbers. I will be back next week, probably on Wednesday, to discuss some of the things that are going on in the playoffs at that point. Maybe we'll have another guest on to discuss. But until then, Nuggets, we'll see you in a little bit.